Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to another installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast, The Main Column. My name is Lee Nichols, and I'm the editor-in-chief and associate publisher of Hydrocarbon Processing. Today's podcast is The Downstream Dilemma, Past, Present, and Future of Downstream Energy. It's written by Andreas De Vries, Global Strategy Consultant, and Karame Fiona Muhammad, Associate Director for Global Energy Strategy and Innovation at IHS Market. Now, this article can be found in the Business Trends section of Hydrocarbon Processing's April 2020 issue. Now, today's podcast is brought to you by Aviva. Aviva produces industrial software to shape a sustainable future. They partner with their customers and harness the power of their ecosystem to build solutions that help you engineer and operate your industrial assets and drive efficient, sustainable performance throughout your portfolio. Aviva empowers and connects your people through collaborative innovation, helping your business to grow. Finally, you can subscribe to the Main Column Podcast by clicking the subscribe button on the podcast's website or by using your smartphone by saying Google, Alexa, or Siri, subscribe me to the Main Column Podcast. The Downstream Dilemma past, present, and future of downstream energy. The oil industry's interest in the downstream segment of the business has known ups and downs. Now, this podcast reviews the past, present, and projected future of the downstream sector and its companies. First, the past, growing up vertical. At the start of the modern history of the industry, the vertically integrated model in which oil companies participate in all segments of the industry, from the wellhead to the end customer, reigned supreme. In the United States, John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company, founded in 1870, came to dominate the oil industry through acquiring crude oil wells upstream from its refineries, along with transportation systems and marketing outlets further downstream. In Europe, meanwhile, Royal Dutch Shell took place through the 1907 merger of the upstream-focused Royal Dutch Petroleum Company with the transportation and marketing-focused Shell Transport and Trading Company. The so-called Seven Sisters oil companies that dominated the oil industry from the 1920s until the 1970s were also vertically integrated. Standard Oil participated in this consortium through its daughter companies, Standard Oil of New Jersey, later Exxon, Standard Oil of New York, later Mobil, and Standard Oil of California, later Chevron. All three companies were vertically integrated because the 1911 antitrust case against Standard Oil broke up the company by region rather than by business segment. The other participants in the Seven Sisters Coalition, in addition to Royal Dutch Shell, were also vertically integrated. Gulf Oil Corporation came about through the merger of a refinery and an upstream producer in 1907, while Texas Fuel Company, later Texaco, which began as a fuel transportation company, diversified into upstream operations, refining and marketing during the first years of its existence. Anglo-Persian Oil Company, now BP, was also vertically integrated, processing Iranian oil at what was then the largest oil refinery in the world, at Abadan, and also managing the transportation and marketing of finished products. The rise of national oil companies, or NOCs, during the 1970s created a somewhat new situation, as they were primarily focused on the production and marketing of crude oil at the time. During the 1980s and 1990s, therefore, the oil industry became dominated by two types of companies, some vertically integrated, the International Oil Companies, or IOCs, and some concentrated, which are the NOCs. 
Around the turn of the 21st century, IOC sentiment regarding vertical integration began to change. In 1997, consultancy McKinsey published a report in which it argued that companies specializing in a particular segment of the oil industry, upstream or downstream, would be creating more shareholder value than the vertically integrated majors. This provoked a move away from the vertically integrated model to a more focused one. A strong and rapid increase in crude oil prices occurred shortly after this trend took hold. West Texas Intermediate, or WTI, oil prices increased from an average of $11.22 per barrel in November 1999 to an average of $140 per barrel in June of 2008. The price hike appeared to confirm the view that specialization was better, as it alleviated returns in the upstream segment well above those traditionally seen in refining and marketing. Consequently, the oil industry's interest in the downstream segment of the business changed, and most integrated companies began to look for opportunities to monetize their downstream assets to enable more investment in the upstream. In 2011, Marathon Oil announced a plan to spin off its refining and marketing subsidiary, Marathon Petroleum, to focus solely on its upstream business. Shortly after, ConocoPhillips also announced that it would spin off its refining, marketing, midstream, and chemical units, combining them into a new entity called Phillips 66. In 2013, Hess announced plans to divest most of its downstream businesses to become a purely upstream player. Other integrated companies that were expected to follow this example instead opted to reduce the size of their downstream businesses. For example, ExxonMobil divested its U.S. retail business in 2008 and sold its refineries in the U.S., Japan, Germany, and Italy in the years afterwards. As can be seen, the trends in the 2010s were specialization and focus, meaning a move away from the vertical integration as the preferred model for oil companies. Let's look at the present, refocus on downstream. The oil price crash of 2014 reminded the industry of the value of vertical integration. After the price of crude oil dropped from well over $100 per barrel back into the $40 to $30 and even $20 per barrel ranges for a short while, returns in the upstream segment of the industry tanked. This put pressure on the downstream to ensure positive earnings for the majors. It did exactly that, accounting for no less than 94% of the majors' earnings during 2015 and 2016. One reason for this strong downstream performance was that a drop in the price of crude oil is actually beneficial for the downstream, as it means lower feedstock prices for refining and chemicals, and therefore better margins. In other words, refining and chemicals tend to be a natural hedge to volatility in the upstream, and this benefit of vertical integration for oil companies was again confirmed from 2015 through 2016. Another reason for the downstream success following the crude oil price crash was the stable performance of the fuels and lubricants marketing segment. This segment has proven to be much less cyclical than upstream, refining, or chemicals, and provides an oil company with a steady stream of income through the business cycle. As a consequence of this experience, the oil industry's interest in the downstream segment is again rising. The recent appointments by ExxonMobil and Total of downstream specialists to the position of CEO, an unthinkable move just a decade ago, provide evidence of this trend. Further evidence is found in the renewed push by IOCs to grow their downstream segments. For example, ExxonMobil is presently investing in several major refining projects and more than a dozen major chemical projects. 
The company is also looking to grow its marketing segment in countries with ExxonMobil refineries, such as Canada, Mexico, and Indonesia. ExxonMobil's recent acquisition of Federal, the largest lubricants marketer in Indonesia, was its first acquisition in the downstream in a number of years. Meanwhile, Shell aims to double the size of its chemical business and grow its number of retail stores from 44,000 in 75 countries to 55,000 in 90 countries in an effort to grow the number of customers it serves on a daily basis by 30%, from 30 million to 40 million. Total has announced a similar ambition to grow chemicals and retail, while Chevron recently acquired the Australian retail assets of Puma Energy. Furthermore, after years of shrinking its downstream portfolio, BP is again looking for growth in its downstream sector, as evidenced by recent investments in Australia, Indonesia, China, and India. Among the most interesting development that prove the oil industry's determination to return to its vertically integrated origin is the push by NOCs to also build and grow their international downstream portfolios. For example, Saudi Aramco's participation in the downstream business was in the 20th century primarily geared towards meeting the country's demand for refined fuels. But this century, the downstream has become the company's focus of growth. It has built additional domestic refining and petrochemicals capacity to supply international customers, as well as establish international refining and petrochemical presence in the U.S., South Korea, China, and Malaysia. At present, Saudi Aramco is working to grow this presence, as evidenced by its ambition to participate in the $44 billion Ratnagiri Mega Refinery and Petrochemical Project in India, Reliance's Refining and Petrochemicals Assets, and Hyundai Oil Bank's assets in South Korea. The company is also looking at further partnerships in China and Indonesia, on top of re recently acquiring a 70% stake in domestic petrochemicals producer Sabic and a deal valued at $69 billion. Similarly, the UAE's Adnoc is looking to grow in the downstream. Adnoc's downstream strategy is based on two pillars. First, it will grow its domestic refining and petrochemicals assets, to supply international markets, for which the company entered into a partnership agreement with Italy's INI and Austria's OMV. Second, it plans to establish an international downstream asset base. In this regard, the company has partnered with Saudi Aramco for the Ratnagiri project in India and with Sinuk for the refining projects in China. It is also working with Mubadala, the UAE's investment arm, to find further opportunities in the Middle East, the Indian subcontinent, Southeast Asia, and Africa. This downstream push among both IOCs and NOCs is setting the stage for a highly dynamic environment in refining petrochemicals and marketing during the 2020s. Now let's look at the future, where technology is king. The current uptick in downstream interest has led to major investments in capacity at a time when many have begun questioning the future development of liquid fuels and plastics demand. Downstream overcapacity is a real threat if it occurs, it will place significant pressure on margins and therefore on returns. For downstream players to succeed in this environment, technology will be key. In any commodity business where margins are razor thin, operational excellence is critical. This has been the case in refining and petrochemicals for a long time, meaning that taking the next step in this area will require a full embrace of digitalization, not the automation of processes that are done because everyone is doing it, but rather the targeted application of technology to resolve specific operational challenges. This application will enable better asset performance and higher uptime at a lower cost. 
The past five years have seen technology investments by major downstream players in data capture, analytics, dynamic modeling, and advanced process control. For example, Shell, through its venture capital arm, has invested in companies such as Mana, which has developed a technology platform that organizes and optimizes assets and decision-making. Osprey and Vero Systems, which provides real-time and AI-supported industrial asset monitoring systems, and Cumulus, which provides a real-time platform to manage maintenance and construction workflow. Chevron has partnered with Shell and a number of these companies. In addition, Chevron has partnered with Microsoft to develop predictive maintenance capabilities and its refining assets. In this particular field, ExxonMobil 2 has partnered with Microsoft, while BP has partnered with Emerson. The next five years will be focused on deploying these technologies, scaling them up across portfolios, and then optimizing their uses in day-to-day processes to improve net refining margins. In an environment of depressed margins due to overcapacity, the companies that excel at continued development and deployment of these technologies and ensure they are ingrained in day-to-day operations will be the ones left standing. Beyond operational excellence lie new threats and opportunities resulting from changes in consumer and investment preferences caused by the global sustainability trend, which can be addressed only through technology. As mentioned, the future development of liquid fuels and plastics demand has become uncertain as consumers show greater concern for how their spending habits affect the environment. In response, investors are showing increased interest in environmental, social, and governance investing, or ESG investing. Conventional refining and petrochemical assets run the risk of losing their license or abilities to operate or both if they do not meet tightening standards linked to environmental impacts. This risk is real and present, as the downstream, in particular refining, has the highest carbon footprint in the energy industry. This accelerates the need for the refinery of the future. In response, downstream assets will need to develop and deploy new technologies that enable them to accomplish several goals. One, move to zero flaring. Two, avoid leaks and minimize impacts when leaks do occur. Three, reduce energy usage in part through catalyst innovation. Four, green the energy used in operation. In other words, through use of biofuels and green hydrogen. And lastly, invest in next generation concentrated solar. Again, the companies that excel at developing and deploying such technologies will be the ones left standing. On a positive note, The technology that supports further advancements in operational excellence also provides opportunities to reduce the environmental impact of downstream processes and vice versa. In other words, the drive towards greater sustainability through emissions management does not necessarily need to come at a cost. It could actually support efforts to reduce operating costs, depending on effective and efficient deployment of technology. To capture the opportunities created by the sustainability trend, new downstream businesses will need to be developed. Areas that are attractive to both consumers and investors are plastics recycling, green or bioplastics, plastics to fuel, and biorefining. While all these opportunities are technically feasible, the current state of technology leaves most of them uneconomical in competition. Therefore, the companies that excel at developing and deploying the technologies that make these offerings cost competitive with conventional energies will be the ones that prosper. Now, you've been listening to the Main Column podcast. Again, this article, The Downstream Dilemma, Past, Present, and Future of Downstream Energy, can be found in the Business Trends section of Hydrocarbon Processing's April issue. We also want to thank again Aviva for sponsoring this webcast series. 
Now remember, to subscribe to the Main Column Podcast, please click the subscribe button on the podcast's site or by using the smartphone and saying Google, Alexa, or Siri, subscribe me to the Main Column Podcast.